Hi, welcome to the Armchair Commander podcast. I'm John. I'm Jack. So, so you, you, you sure are batting a thousand with this, with these film choices. Thank you. Um, so for our listeners, we went and saw the movie Come and See. And yes, I've been waiting an entire week to use that line. And what a movie. God damn. It was rather intense. Mm-hmm. For our listeners, it's about a um, Belarusian. How do you, how do you say that? Belarusian. Belarusian. Belo- a fifteen-year-old from Belarus. Well, what what would later become Belarus in World War Two? Gets drafted to fight in the partisans after digging up a rifle, and uh, he gets more than he bargains for, and that's putting it very lightly. That sounds like the like the intro. Like you're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. Oh God! Yeah, that's me. Yeah. yeah, the the scene where they take a picture of him. That'd be the perfect freeze frame moment. Oh man! You know, you know I know this film has gotten quite a bit of. Uh, it's it's very highly acclaimed and lots of positive reviews to it. But I'll be honest, I just kind of. Uh, I wasn't that big of a fan. Oh yeah. And my 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 biggest gripe does come back to uh, the um like the the portrait shots that recur in this film because it's one of those things that I feel like it would have been a very powerful tool. Had it been like, okay, we're going to start the film with this like portrait shot of Fiora, and I, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. I hope I am, but the main character Fiora, you know, we we open the movie with like this portrait shot of him where he's this young innocent kid, and then we don't return to that shot till the very end of the film where he's all you know PTSD'd out. But the fact that this um, this shot recurs like every ten minutes or every twenty minutes, it kind of takes away the uh, the power of it for me, anyways. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a little heavy on the portrait shots, I will admit. But man. <clears throat> And the the reoccurring imagery of that German spy plane is that what that was? Yeah, I I didn't have nearly as much of an issue with the plane flying over, um, just because I understand that they're probably working with not the greatest budget in the world. Um, but that didn't bug like I'm cool with them reusing that as kind of the like faceless image of the Germans like like that plane seems to precede every terrible thing that happens to the main character so I'm, I'm cool with that aspect of it but like the, the, the portrait shots for me were just so unsettling that it made me not want to watch the movie because it's like I can only like stare into the eyes of this person so much <laughs> yeah it was Friedrich Nietzsche that 
said something along the lines of stare into the eyes of Floria, Fliora, and yeah, the abyss will stare back. But you think that was the point of the portraits shots that would make you uncomfortable to like confront you, the viewer directly, I suppose. Oh, I I have no doubt that that was what the goal was. Um, Yeah, no, I I definitely think the, like the repeated use of the portrait mode was an intentional choice. I think it might've been an improper choice. The, The thing is, is that like this, this this strikes me as a film that like it I, I i don't know if this particular director what his filmmaking experience was prior to this film was but it definitely seems like it it, it feels almost as if a like somebody who is fresh out of film school was like, I have an unlimited budget to make a film and I'm going to employ every single technique I've ever learned to show how artsy I am. Well, yeah, I looked up the director of this and it seems like he quit after this. And I remember reading somewhere that (coughs) reading somewhere that he said, I've said all I, how do, how do I phrase it? I've said all I can say as a director or something, and then he just stepped away. He's like, I have created Hamlet, beat that, and then walked away even though he, he didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. After this film, L.M. Klimovs felt he'd said everything he needed to say as a director and retired from filmmaking. Uh, you know what? I can't say I'm, I'm disappointed by that choice. Um I was, the other part of it too, is that like, so don't get me wrong. I I did it. I did like the movie. I just don't think it was done well. Like, for example, like, for example, I was reading when he was going through his selection for actors, when he chose the actor for uh, Fiora, um, He's like, yeah, I purposely chose a teenage kid who had zero acting experience ever before, and I wanted him to experience all these traumatic things and get, like, real reactions out of him. And uh, I, I found it hilarious that he's like, yeah, I want, like, the second part of this, of his choice was he's like, I want to do this, but also I don't want to permanently traumatize this, this kid. And he's like, wait a minute. You just said you want to choose an inexperienced person so that they have like a real traumatic response to your scenes, but you don't want them to be broken forever. Like, like which one is it? That does get, a, that is a little confusing. I, I say you can't go easy on them kids personally, you know, you got to throw them to the wolves sometime and watch them fight their way out. I think it's been all downhill since we banned them from working in the mines. I agree, Ron Swanson. <laughs> They've grown soft. Um, and I, I think that's one of those things that's like, by the end of the film, you can definitely see in his eyes that Fiora's character, like, uh, like I a hundred percent believe that 
like his his mind his mind and spirit is broken and like like what has happened to him is irreversible like in in the final scene that is undeniable that he he performed that very well but like the rest of the film it's like it's very much a like this i i'm just taken out of it so often because of how the acting is done as well as like i don't know about you but i i felt like the the dialogue was so fake like like i've never lived in 1940s belarus during you know german occupation but like i have a hard time believing anybody talks to each other the way they did i mean yeah you you could tell it they were inexperienced soviet union era actors which in my opinion gave the film more charm like uh what was the the this is terrible i've already forgotten it but what was the the female lead's name glaza yeah i'm looking it up um galasha um like the 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 scene where they are like they stumble across each other in the woods and they're both just like bawling their eyes out like i don't know about you but i've never felt more uncomfortable in a scene than i have watching that <laughs> yeah it, it did take them a long time to wrap that scene up it's just like like they were just like looked at each other for six minutes and like their crying turned into laughing yeah but it was like don't get me wrong that part was I, that part was cute and all but did it really take five minutes to get there yeah i'm like and, and here's the other thing is like I can't say I've ever like gone to the middle of the woods to cry my eyes out. But if I was to go to the middle of the woods to cry my eyes out about whatever problem I was having, if another person stumbled across me, I would immediately leave or I would like try and hide the fact that I'm having like a mental breakdown. Like, I don't know, John, it sounds like someone who's gone into the woods and cried before. Shut up. What I do in my free time is none of your business. <laughs> but, and yeah, you'd think, of course, I don't know anything about that area in that period of time, but you'd think that hiding your emotions was the go-to thing to do. Maybe not so much among kids, but. Yeah, I feel, I feel like Eastern Europeans are not known for their abundance of, uh, emotional intelligence if you will and before anybody asks me like like my family immigrated here from latvia after world war ii like I, i'm not saying that to be purposely derogative i'm saying i've had very very simple conversations with my grandfather that never got beyond surface level so mm. it's a cultural thing what was it gonna say um but like going back to the whole like people don't talk to each other this way like okay so they they do their five minutes of back and forth crying in front of each other and then they turn to laughing and then it becomes like a name calling competition and then like glasha goes up and like like basically just like throws herself at fiora and he's like nah like that like when have you ever heard of or seen like like 
like a woman just like bawling her eyes out for five minutes and then like you call her crazy and then she like try like grabs your dick and like tries to make out with you like that doesn't happen and if it does you need to get away from that person i was gonna say traumatized eastern european nurse but again i don't know too many of those so i can't really say one way or the other what are you drinking tonight so i am currently drinking some vodka i figured just like the last episode i would try and stick somewhat on theme with whatever we're watching with my alcoholic choices uh i wish i had had vodka when i was watching this film but uh right now it's just going to have to suffice yeah yeah i'm just drinking beer again <laughs> uh never changed jack are you at least drinking some sort of relevant beer, or is it your your go to? It's Miller High Life. Ooh, you you stepped up from Bud Light. I know, right? Champagne of beers. Maybe for the the but, next episode, we can coordinate and have the same drink, like a cute couple. Yeah, wouldn't that just be adorable? But um, the hell's against. Um, I may be getting ahead of myself here, but the ending scene with the Hitler poster where he just like loses it and shoots at the poster for a long time. That was, that was, that was something. Um, I think that kind of goes back to my, my previous statement of like, this is a person who's purposely trying to be artsy. Like, I think you could have had just as an effective of scene if you just see Fiora lose it and like destroy this picture by unloading his gun into it. But the like the backwards scroll through time just made me laugh and just kind of took me out of the scene. Like I thought he was actually going to do that fucking thought experiment where he goes back in time and kills baby Hitler. I just. I don't know about you, but I burst out laughing when I saw Goose stepping in reverse. It was pretty goofy. Man, the goofy movies have, <laughs> but, have yeah, taken he's... quite a turn. Yeah, that um, that photo that he stops on too wasn't an actual real photo. It was spliced together with two other photos. But um, also, Hitler's mom looks like Michael Cera. Now, but, that's a conspiracy theory if I've ever heard one. Yeah. It's Michael Sarah just a time... I'm, I'm treading dangerous waters. It's Michael Sarah just a time-traveling Nazi creator. Yeah, and so does this answer the question that he wouldn't go back in time to kill Hitler? I mean, he doesn't fire another... I, if I remember correctly, he doesn't fire around at, he ha- after No, after he doesn't. He hesitates. He stops. Yeah, he just kind of stops when it gets to Hitler and he just walks away. I guess that's to show like his how he hasn't lost his humanity in the horrors of war yet. He wouldn't kill a baby, despite the fact that the babies will grow up to be Hitler. Which, like I said, there's an entire thought experiment behind that. Like, would you go back in time and kill Hitler if it meant possibly preventing World War II? Do you think if you killed Hitler that there would be like a mega Hitler that would arise somewhere else? And I know it's hard to wrap your yeah. mind around a mega Hitler, but yeah, I've had this discussion before with more beer, and the consensus is killing Hitler as a baby probably wouldn't do much, considering the conditions 
of post-war Germany and World War One. Like there, there would have been some someone else. There would have been somebody to take its place. Exactly how someone else probably would have done it. Like if not him, we don't know if it would have been to the same extreme. Whether it would have been worse or it would have been less bad, but like we'll never know. But I, I think the the inevitable path would have been a totalitarian state in Germany post World War One. Like I think, I think that's the one inevitable thing out of this. There was a Twilight Zone episode, not the good OG series, the meh the men 1980s reboot where this dude invents time travel and actually does go back in time and kill hitler and he just has like a sob fest for most of the episode like oh should i kill this baby well the baby yes the baby's hitler but the baby itself hasn't even done anything yet and then if i recall correctly he actually does kill the baby but then he he replaces it so no one gets suspicious and then that baby grows up to be Hitler. Like there's just Hitler no matter what. Yeah, it's like, what? what's the word? Self-fulfilling prophecy. Where it's set in stone. And that, that rule of time traveling. It's like, uh, like what happens on the timeline is going to happen regardless. But like the, the details may vary. Yeah, and my God, the church scene, that was brutal, getting back to the movie. I was going to say what was like the most effective scene for you, but I, I would say that's probably your answer then, is the, the church scene. Yeah, like there's, it's a war movie, yes, but there's no glory to be had. There's no triumphant victory. It's just horror. And it, it's no Hollywood bullshit either. Like everything depicted happened in some capacity. Like the, if I recall correctly, the SS division in charge of policing Belarus were actual criminals sprung from prison. And they actually just went through that country like a weed whacker. I think a quarter of the population was killed. And that was the favorite pastime of them herding them into the barn or whatever building was the biggest and then playing like fucking with them like oh you can step out but we'll shoot you in games like fun games like that and then just burning it all well i imagine when you're committing such atrocities like you almost have to turn it into a game and up in order to like wrap your head around it and i know that's like a, a seriously like fucked up thing to say but like i I can't imagine any other way of trying to like justify it to yourself in your brain than being like, Oh, these aren't actually people. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you know, fooling around with, you know, these subhuman beings. And the movie covers that too. Cause after they like burn that village to the ground, they get ambushed by the rebels and like the survivors get brought back and they're debating what to do with the survivors. And most of them are like, oh, it was the SS. They forced us to do this and other bullshit. And um, one SS commander is like, oh, yeah, no, we want to do this. Like you're, you're an inferior race and Hitler is good and blah, blah, blah. And he like stood resolute. 
And uh, honestly, that line was pretty terrifying the way he just delivered it with zero remorse in his voice. Like, honestly, I feel like that was the like the best performance in that film. Like, it's oh, it's yes. only like a couple of sentences, but like, I like he like he sells it, and I believe it. And like, there's no point during that speech that I'm I'm taken out of the moment. Oh yeah, it's whew, chilling. And yeah, they they were like ready to burn them, but that one random woman just snapped and shot them all. Can we take a second to address like like I totally get like, oh, you burnt a church full of people, so we're gonna set you on fire. I like that doesn't like strike me as odd. What strikes me as odd is like like they have these group of prisoners surrounded and then like in the middle of them like yelling and trying to decide what are we going to do with them like the camera just like pans to the road and we see a dude like doing his best like olympic torch run impression oh yeah that. I'm like, where, the f- um, where the fuck did you come from <laughs> like who told you to get that did you just get that on your own like i like yeah i was like where did you get the torch how did you make it like where did you light it why are why are you lighting it from a different location and running it to here did somebody tell you to get this like i had i had so many questions about just this dude who's like running up with the torch um i, I was like what and, and that's the thing that happens to me a lot in this film where you'll have something pop up and you're like wait what the fuck? like why is this here like like uh, in the same ending scene, when uh, Fiora is coming up on the group of rebels, you know he he comes across the like the Nazi staff car that's like turned over has been attacked, and you see like one of the officers been shot, and then you see like you know earlier in the scene you see that there's one female with this group of Nazis, and one at, at first I'm like, yeah whatever, but I, I would hazard a guess that like the Einsatz group and didn't have like their girlfriends rolling around with them. Like, don't get me wrong. Like women definitely participated in the Holocaust and all that, but like, I don't think they were participating in a frontline unit like that. But anyways, like we come across the, the, the officer's car and you see the officers that are dead. And then you see like this one female that you already questioned, like, why was she there? And like, she is like severely injured or she's dead or whatever and she's just like topless and you're like what what was this choice like my what i gathered from that is she was injured and took a cyanide pill because there was like vomit running down the sides of her mouth it, it's still it's just it's like like i don't like her being dead or dying in that instance isn't what throws me through a loop. It's the choice of like, she's naked now. It's like, did the, did the rebels undress her after ambushing the car? Like it's not something we see. It's just like seeing it from Fiora's perspective, he's walking, he sees this ambushed car and a topless chick. And it's like, why? Because of war. Ah, uh, yes. War, the, the greatest generator of topless people ever. Yes. Um, 
yeah, we, we don't even see the big um, rebel hurrah at the end where they attack the bad guys. Yeah, it's just, it just Fiora is just walking aimlessly, and then he comes across that. So, and, and yeah, like throughout the entire movie, the main character doesn't kill a single person. Well, I was going to say, what do you think about the fact that, you know, this is a war movie? And I, I don't think a war movie necessarily needs combat in order for it to be a war movie. But I definitely find it interesting that the, the closest thing to a combat scene we actually see is the like the cow in the field scene with the machine guns oh oh yeah but, and i have no trouble believing they actually killed that cow oh yeah like it, it's 19 it was made in 1980s soviet soviet union like they they 100 actually killed that cow like that's that's not what's in contention here but i found it interesting as a choice that we have a film about the belarusian resistance but we actually don't ever see the Belarusians fights. And I wonder what you thought about that. I think I'm okay with it because the focus was more on the, (coughs) Jesus, the civilian side of things and just the horror of the Eastern front of world war two and then what it was like. Oh, Oh man. Sorry, I almost spilled my beer. But I'm going to keep that in for the show, by the way. You almost spilling it. Go ahead. You almost spilling your beer on so, yourself. Yeah, while well, talking about the horrors of war. It's okay. I so I have I have a glass of Sprite in a separate glass, and I have my glass of vodka, and they look basically the same. And there's been like two or three times this <laughs> evening where I've grabbed one thinking it was the other, and I'm like, oh god. <laughs> that burn you're expecting a fizz and you get a <clears throat> man what was it oh yeah and i kind of feel like a big battle scene would kind of i don't i don't want to say take away from the point but it wouldn't be the focus of this movie which is like I said, the horrors, like the civilian side of the war. Right. But I don't think, uh, you know, when, when Fiora comes up on the, the resistance group, I don't think it would have been an out of place scene to like, like have him like walk up like mid ambush or like right as the ambush is ending, as opposed to them doing like the mop up for it. But Ultimately, that it's not that big of a deal for me. I I think that's such a minor thing uh, comparatively. And it's like you said, it's not really the center points of the story. I did like that those scenes towards the beginning of them just chilling around camp, like doing chores and the training. See, that's the thing is like I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie Defiance um, uh, with Daniel Craig, which is about a group of like Polish brothers who start a resistance group. Um, 
And that particular scene reminded me a lot of that film. And I got like super excited because I'm like, oh, this is going to be like OG defiance movie. We're going to see a lot of Nazis dying. And then uh, all we see is a teenager get PTSD for the, the rest of the hour and a half. But actually, it was two and a half hours. <laughs> I I had to watch it in like three different sections. I'll I'll be honest. I I had to take breaks watching this film. Um, and that had less to do with my my beef about the like technical side of things on this. It it was just it's a tough film to watch. It's there's a lot of very serious and intense scenes in it and i think you know this film was created to be an anti-war film and i think it nails you know it nails the the head of the nail whatever the that phrase is i i might have had too much drink it (laughs) kills two nails with one head yeah it kidnaps a bird and three stones it, it it does its job of being an anti-war film very well very well which i kind like honestly is kind of shocking considering the fact that you have to think about the fact that at this time belarus was still part of the soviet union and like this entire film had to go through like the censor process of the soviets and I couldn't imagine trying to make an anti-war film with, like, Soviet approval. Not saying that the Soviets are pro-war or anything, but it seems like that wouldn't be the easiest task in the world. I think what really did them a lot of favors is portraying it in, like, a patriotic sense and, like the whole depiction of Germans, like, yeah, this is what they did to us kind of thing. Well, it is, uh, they they do refer to the time period as the Great Patriotic War. So, if that that speaks to the mindset about this conflict at all. Yeah, that scene where he gets, um, he picks up, he tries to rob that farmer and what was he taking? Just the cart or something else? It was the cart and the horse or the ox. I, I forgot what animal was pulling it. But, but yeah, Fiora's a dick. Sure the he, horse. he robbed two of his own countrymen. Yeah, well, that's the nature of war, I suppose. But how the farmer still helped him out when he heard the Nazis come. He's like, oh yeah, bury the gear in this hay and just pretend to be this local boy who drowned last week i love how he's going through his entire family tree like the the nazis aren't going to know whether you're telling the truth or lying about the 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 like the layout of your family tree one one scene that i will admit made me laugh is when like they're rounding everybody up and like doing house checks and whatnot and like you know just being <clears throat> being asses of themselves and floria just stands up walks across the room and he's walking out and all, out of nowhere that nazi soldier just drops in front of him from the ceiling laughs and then walks around him hello there 
Yeah, like what was the <laughs> what was the point of that? Did he just want to scare a poor Slavic kid before killing him? I don't know, but the that group kind of threw me a like like them committing their atrocities did not surprise me one bit. But like you'll have like one guy who's wearing a tank top and shorts, and like you have what appears to be some dude who's a local who has sided with the Germans and he's wearing like a Stahlhelm helmet, just like covered in swast like hand painted swastikas, and you're like, what the f-? like who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> and what was what was that little animal the commander had? Was it like a marmoset or what was I it? I think it I I'm gonna have to Google this. I think it was a marmoset. I don't think it was a marmoset. Um, and I'm sure there's like, uh, what's the word? Um, analysis about what the monkey means. Oh, cool. Live ammunition was used. Take me marmoset? I don't know. It, The Nazi German SS major Sturm Bonfjord's type of pet in the film is an animal known as a red slender loris. A mammal species of prosimian, i.e. a primate that is neither a monkey nor an ape. Okay, the more you know. Are there a lot of those roaming around Eastern Europe, or is that like a North Africa? Probably <laughs> not. Is that like a North Africa campaign take back? Probably that. Like, it's probably a gift from another front of the war. Probably Africa. Where... And it got me curious about where this... Red, red slender loris yeah like then the 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 film really focused on that a lot and I, was, and I was wondering what the meat like the deeper meaning of this red slender loris is okay so wow it's native to a small part of sri lanka when how did it get to the eastern front now i need to know i want a movie about about that animal yeah like his adventure and how he became a nazi how did he get radicalized it's like the the madagascar penguins movie but eastern front edition <laughs> listen up boys oh. we're going to go commit some war crimes kowalski analysis the church seems the most flammable in this village and one part that got on my nerves, I guess, is like the, the hearing loss he got after being bombed and like how the next hour, half hour of the film was through his point of view. So it was like muted. And that obnoxious sound like I, I don't need to be reminded I have tinnitus. I think that kind of plays into the whole um, like again it's it's kind of like the the portrait shots that are, are overdone where it's like we see fiora have essentially like a melt like a meltdown or a breakdown after each traumatic event and i'm not here to say like oh pull yourself up by your bootstraps but like i think you only get to pull certain cards or certain moves so many times within a movie before they no longer have the effect you want them to have. 
And I think that was a problem with this particular filmmaker is that just constantly like, I'm going to beat you over the head with this thing that I think is cool. I want to also talk about that, that killer Hitler statue that him and the villagers made of that skull that they put clay around and they like took hair from and made it into a Hitler statue, like a jury rigged Hitler statue. That was a trap. I really, really wanted to see that go off. Yeah, that was a little disappointing. It's like we, we go through all this process of watching them make this and then like watching them like drag this thing across across the field. Yeah, this is going to be a big boom for the Jerry's, but then we never see it again. They just leave it. Yeah, that was I was a bit upset at that. Like there there are times where you're like, oh this like they're like there's a lot of setup and then there's a letdown, but then there's there's also times where there's foreshadowing and you don't realize it. Like, like when uh, Fiora gets picked up to join the resistance at first, um, you know, his mom has his, throws his big fit and she's like, you might as well kill me and your sisters. And you're like, geez, mom, that's, that's a bit much. And then like 45 minutes later, we come back and see that she got murdered and you're like, huh? They, they alluded to this, didn't they? Yeah, and the way that was revealed was something. Like, obviously, you know, like you, the viewer, know something. Yeah, like... But Floria's naivete... Naivete? Whatever. Naivete and possibly denialism... You're like, oh, you, you poor boy, your family's probably dead. But he just is dead set that they're on the island. And, like, they run off to it. Glasha looks behind her once and sees all those dead bodies just lined up against the firing wall and just... Like, don't nope. get me wrong. There's definitely some, like, I get the, the point of that entire scene is the, the denial of the, the horrors of what's going on. Because we just got through uh, a long scene of, you know, he joins the rebels and then like the rebels go on this mission and the leader is like, no, you have to stay back, basically treating him like he's a kid still. And so he, you know, he, he has his little meltdown temper tantrum thing where he meets another girl who's about his age, maybe a little older or whatever. And then we see them just like fuck around in the woods, like... Like, do you remember, like, seeing that That was another, like, portrait shot that really made me unsettled was, like, Guasha dancing on top of, like, a wood crate in the rain, but it's from that portrait mode, and I'm like, this makes me feel uncomfortable the way that, like, like, something out of place in a horror film is. I was scared that she would slip off it, honestly. Yeah, it I wonder really if they, they had to pay her any, like, Warfman's comps claims. <laughs> how, how many takes that took to get down? But yeah, we, we get a solid half hour of, you know, Fiora still being a kid. 
you know, he there's danger in his life and he experiences things like the like the artillery barrage, but for like all intents and purposes, he still hasn't like experienced a quote unquote horror yet. Um so when we get to the scene where, you know, his family and his entire village has been, you know, executed, like I totally get the the standpoint of like we want him to be in denial because that is a big ledge to jump off of from the trauma standpoint. Mm-hmm. And um, the scene, the scene of him sw- and uh, Galasha swimming through the muck, man, that drug on. Every Everything about this film drug on for me. Like every scene... But it, it was that scene in particular, that scene in the poster shooting, the ones that seemed to take longer than average. My my only real beef with the the scene where we find out that uh, Fiora's family has been killed is, you know, obviously Glasha, we get this like quick side pan where we see the, the mountain of bodies. And obviously there's a lot of... Uh, foreshadowing and hinting at the thing at the fact that stuff is wrong like you know the house is infested with flies and like everything's out of place and like nobody's there but like this may be a graphic detail our viewers might not want but you know i've i've worked in a career field that from time to time has to deal with dead people and the amount of smell that a single dead person generates is is truly astounding and i cannot fathom what an entire pile of villagers would amount to in in the realm of smell so that that's the thing that i know it's a weird thing to get hung up on but that's the thing that struck me i'm like there is no way that they did not notice this horrendous smell of like 50 people decomposing. I guess. And how long were those villagers dead before they got there? I can't imagine it would have been too long because like, you know, there's a scene where he pulls that pot of soup out of the kitchen fire. And it was still warm. That's right. But like you and I both know that like, I can set up a crock pot and have soup going for days. Like, so it, it comes down to a matter of how long is that cooking fire lasting? So, so it, it could have been a short yeah. period of time, but I would, I'd have to say at least a few hours would have had to have passed. At least. But. Hmm. Who knows? Yeah, and that it was very um, heavy-handed at the end when it straight up said 629 Belarusian villages were burnt down. Well, that was the but thing I was reading. Fits the with thing the style. I was reading about this film was that the filmmaker, you know, he was part of the, the Belarusian resistance himself, and uh, he was inspired to make this film because he was reading a book about firsthand accounts of people in the Holocaust from his country. And his grand idea was people need to know that the Holocaust happened in Belarus. And I like not to be a dick, 
but I don't think anybody's on the under the impression that any of the occupied territories was uh, exempted from from the uh, the Holocaust, if you will. I don't know if it's so much as think they were exempted as they didn't know how bad it was. Like I didn't I didn't know how bad Belarus had it until I watched this movie. I guess for me, it's like if you watch a movie like Schindler's List or you know anything of that nature, like you see how bad, like like you know like a concentration camp film, you see like all these horrors, um, and maybe that's the disconnect here is because we're looking more at like the Einsatzgruppe and like mobile killing teams, which isn't really hit on as much in cinema, but like. Never in the history of ever has there been a film produced by a country that was occupied or a country that fought against Germany where we don't have like a scene of terror. You know, there's always the like, oh God, the Germans are coming to hide. Like that, that exit, like that is a universal thing in every film with the Germans that it's like, these are the baddies and we don't want to deal with them. Yeah. Bad guys. And um, skulls on their uniforms. I'm the bad guy. The skulls on their uniforms. <coughs> that is one of my, my favorite sketches I've ever seen. Have you, have you seen the, the, are, are we the are we bad the guys? I was just about to bring what that up. Mean? Well, I mean, have you looked at our uniforms? There's skulls on them. Yeah. There had to have been a moment like that, at least at one point. It's a shame because the the SS really had to go and ruin a cool logo because the the, the skull and like the, the death's head skull predates the SS. Yeah, yeah, and they also ruined the Charlie Chaplin mustache, the Roman salute, the SWAT, the Buddhist the, symbol for good the light, luck. The lightning bolts. Man, they ruined a lot of things. Well, it's like, uh, you know, when we were getting the, the logo made up for this show, you know, we had a couple of different designs, and uh, one of them had, uh, it, it essentially looked like an SS lightning bolt coming out of it to, you know, the, like, electricity going into a microphone thing. And I just looked at Miranda, I'm like, we can't have that. She's like, huh? I'm like, that looks like <laughs> the SS markings. We can't do that. That's not okay. And she's like, oh, yeah, now I see it. I'm like, yeah, we need to change that. <laughs> How are we supposed to know that the Sarmshare <laughs> subcommandos would have that logo? It's two S's. We didn't know it was going to turn we out that way. We hadn't watched the movie yet. How were we to know it was a bad idea? <laughs> what? It's just the Buddhist symbol for good what? luck. I just really like electromad discharge atmosphere meteorology words <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I love this movie, personally. I, I, I definitely see why people like it, and I definitely see why it's acclaimed. It just, it, it didn't do it for me. I will say, though, I, I did learn something new out of this film, because, because... Oh, absolutely. Um, like I like I said, my my main criticism of this is that it seems like the director was trying to, like he was trying to make a cinematic masterpiece, and it's like, okay, whatever. But you know the the very end scene where you get the the split frame where you have the two side by side portrait of uh, Fiora, and then that one girl who's like bleeding and blowing a whistle. Yeah. So I looked, I, I had to look it up because I was so interested by this particular frame. Um, and apparently there's a special lens that actually creates that shot. It's called a diapetic lens. And what it does is it lets you have two different things. Like it allows you to have two different subjects and focus together in the same frame, even though they're in different locations. Um, it's it's a hmm. it's a really interesting yeah, lens. Um, there's a couple of videos on YouTube about it, but the this kind of goes back to it where it's like you can tell that there's a lot of inexperience going on in this film because you know how there's that like wavy haze in between the two um the two different subjects in the frame. Um, usually in editing, uh, they'll do some special effects or they will get rid of that. So it looks like one image versus in this one where you can very clearly tell that they're two separate images that are just taking up the same frame. Um, so that's my other little pedantic do better quibble. Is this guy still alive, this director? Oh, no, he died in 2003. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. He probably he probably was, like, in his 70s or 80s by that point. If he... If he yeah. 70. Like, if he fought yep, on the as a resistance fighter. Man, he was born in... Nine, yeah, 33, so he would have been 10 around the time this movie takes place. That's insane to think of uh, a 10-year-old fighting the Nazis. <laughs> Can't go easy on them kids. Like I said, everything went downhill once we stopped making them work in the mines. So I think uh, we can get on to the, the part of the, the show where we check the thermometer and... Uh, see what the critics have to say about the film and then decide whether or not we uh, agree or disagree with the rating. So. Internet movie database says 8.4 okay. out of 10. And do we have a, a thermometer reading or just the IMDb? Um, I'm looking at I'm looking it up. 90% for critics but 95 percent audience score so because because you're a fan of this this film and i've already expressed my my somewhat distaste of it i'll, I'll let you go forth with your your positive review first 
I think 95 is app. What what are what are the the aspects that I, you think yeah. make it a, a 95% fresh film? The fact that it's a war movie, but there's no glory to be had. There's no fi- triumphant final battle. It's just survival. And like there's no Hollywood embellishments either. Just poor 15-year-old thrust into war. All right. So I'm I'm going to have to go with a, a little bit of a lower rating here. Um, I think this is a better film than Picadon was. And I know we're... I don't know how fair it is to compare films. Um, but I know with that film, I gave... I, I gave it a like an eighty percent or or a solid eight point whatever the whatever metric we were using. I think that this film is an eighty three percent. Okay, yeah, I thought you were gonna rate it much lower. To be honest, I want to. I I want to rate it much lower, <laughs> but I'm trying to be a little objective here. My my biggest complaints about this is that we have some we have inconsistent acting. There there are some great scenes of acting, but there's also some really poor scenes of acting. Um, there's a lot of technical choices with how this film was produced that just really throws me out of it. But overall, like I said before, this film does a fantastic job of being an anti-war film. I appreciate the fact that it doesn't sugarcoat the, the, the horrors that occur during the Holocaust. And even though, you know, I kind of made fun of it earlier, it it is important to realize that the Holocaust was more than just Poland or more than just Germany. Like, like it like everywhere the German Empire touched, um, these horrors occurred, um, and I and I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. little countries that get forgotten about in in the grand scheme of the story of World War II. So for that reason, I'm I'm doing 83 because it does what it sets out to accomplish. I just wish it was produced better. And yeah, he he did what he could in Soviet Union. In Soviet Russia. Movie make you. Right. I also I, I couldn't imagine what film trying to make a film under the, the USSR was like. Couldn't couldn't have been easy. I wonder how many rewrites he had. I'm sure he probably had his KGB agent on like speed dial. So yeah. So I was gonna just gonna say that, that was, was come and see. That was come and see. Please do not make me watch that again. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's one of those movies with Grave of the Fireflies where I'd recommend to people but never watch it. It's like it recommending again Schindler's List. Yes, it's a great film, but like once you is don't want to watch like how many times can you watch traumatizing shit like that? So uh, seeing as the last two films were 
well, the, the first film was a, a joint agreement, but this film was your selection. Um, that means this particular one is my choice. So I'm going to pull up our list here, which we're at 115 films now. Like it literally grows by the day. I don't know how we'll ever get through it. And the thing is, is that like this list, it like you would think there would be a lot of like straight to TV or like direct release DVD movies. No, there's like these are all like legitimate film, like legitimate films with like actual like theatrical releases. So it's uh it's not looking good for my my choice. Um. I know I wanted to subject you to that one Dolph Lundgren movie, but that that might have to that might have to wait a while. <laughs> oh man, I was looking forward. I've not I've not one. heard great things about it. Oh, it looks like dog shit. But I think for this one, I'm going to t- attempt to try one that is not um, as depressing, and I'm also going to avoid World War II. Because we because we've done two World War Two ones. Ah, fair. Too depressing. So, too depressing World War Two ones. I would say, let us watch 1996's Down Periscope. Down if you Periscope. Pull up eh? and read the dis- read the description of just it Googled and it. the uh, the actor list. Rob Schneider. <laughs> Rob Schneider is a submarine captain. <laughs> Technically, he's the XO. Quiet, you. Well, all right. This one looks like a fun, fun movie. Patton Oswalt was in it's, this. It's life? got quite the 1990s star-studded cast. Oh, I remember Rip to- William H. Macy. Wow. Hey, Toby Huss. So for our viewers, the, the description of this is Down Periscope is a 1996 film in which Kelsey Grammer plays a naval officer who is given command of a down-at-the-heels submarine and must lead an oddball crew of misfits to victory in a war game that will determine his future. And it also has Brock Schneider. And Toby Huss, a.k.a. Cotton really? Hill. I don't yeah, think Toby I've does. ever seen Con Hill's actual like I've never looked up his Oh he he played I, I'm looking at him now. He plays a fun character, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Anywho, that is our our film for next week. Um Alright, I can't wait. Do you have anything before we we sign off? War is hell. War is hell. Oh, I do. Uh, we have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. If you want to go and uh, give those a follow, like, whatever. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. Those stars matter, and we would greatly appreciate hearing your feedback, such as Jack is a terrible host. Yep. Awful. Well, until next time, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.